Hi there, Rachel here. If you're listening to this episode in May of 2024, I have some big news. After selling out during the holiday season, my Flex of Gold journal is available for pre-order right now and will be shipping to your home by the end of June. To celebrate, we're running an amazing pre-order sale for Mother's Day. Purchase the journal before May 13th and you'll get $10 off every journal. This is our best price of the year, even better than Black Friday, so it's the perfect time to stock up for gifts for family and friends. This three-year journal helps mothers to notice, savor, and write down the fleeting golden moments that they experience with their children each day. So go to 3in30podcast.com slash flexofgold to reserve your copy, and you'll also see our brand new cover colors, as well as our new cover option, which is a wipeable vegan leather. So again, go to 3in30podcast.com slash flexofgold to pre-order your journal, and from now until Mother's Day 2024, they'll be marked down by $10 each. I can't wait for you to experience the magic of this beautiful gratitude journal for mothers. You're listening to 3 and 30 Takeaways for Moms, episode 50. I can hardly believe that we are 50 episodes into this. So exciting. And stay tuned because in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be telling you about some really exciting things that we have happening for the one-year anniversary of the podcast. I can't wait. Today, we're going to be learning about listening to our kids in a way that builds connection. Welcome to 3 and 30, a podcast for moms who want to create more meaning in motherhood. Each 30-minute episode will feature three doable takeaways for you to try at home with your family this week. I'm your host, Rachel Nielsen. Thank you so much for being here. As a mom, I do a whole lot of talking. I talk to my kids constantly, I order them around, but am I really listening? I think in our adult relationships, we know what a gift it can be to have someone who really listens to us. Like if you have that friend who is a really good listener, it can be so healing and connective. And are we doing this for our children? And how can we do it better? So today on the podcast, we have an expert guest on listening and communication. Her name is Kim Jacobs, and she has a master's degree in interpersonal and family communication. She's taught public speaking, interpersonal communication, and persuasion at the university level. And she puts all that theoretical learning into practice with her own four young boys who range in age from one to nine. So she has the book smarts and she's a mom, which is a perfect balance. So welcome, Kim Jacobs, to 3 and 30. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, we're excited to have you and to learn more about how to be better listeners and improve the atmosphere in our home. So I just wanted to start by kind of giving an overarching why. Why is this important? So why do you think improving our listening skills is so important as as parents? Right. Um, Obviously, as parents, we want to be the person that our children come to. And if our kids don't feel like they're being heard when they come to us, they're not going to want to talk to us. We're not going to be the person that they come to. Yeah. And like I said in that intro, we all have those friends who are really good listeners that we turn to. But then we also have those friends that maybe we know aren't going to be great listeners or going to try to fix it right away or going to talk over us. And those just aren't the people we turn to when we really need to talk. Absolutely. 
Um, there's a quote that I really love by David W. Augsburger that says, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they are almost indistinguishable. And oh, I think that's really true. Um, I love that. We need to make sure that we are showing our kids our love through hearing them. Yes. So how do we do that? What are your three takeaways for how we can really hear our children and therefore show them more love? Yeah, my first takeaway is to pay attention to your nonverbal communication. Nonverbal communication includes anything outside of the actual words that we're using to communicate. So it's things Mm -hmm. like gestures, body language, eye contact, touch, um, Mm -hmm. and even the rate and tone of our speech. Mm. And the reason that I... I said to pay attention to it is because I think we really do know what to do if we're paying attention. (laughs) Yes. And if we're not too busy doing other things. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So if you were to have a friend call you up and say, hey, I have this issue weighing on my mind. Can we go to lunch and talk about it? You'd say, sure, absolutely. And you would meet them at the restaurant and you would make eye contact with them. You would nod at the appropriate times. If they had a concerned look on their face, you would probably show concern on your face too. We know what to do, right? Mm-hmm. So contrast that with um, a period of time in my house that's really chaotic, which is the hour between the time my kids come home from school and the time that dinner is getting served. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they walk in, they throw down their backpack and shoes. I'm trying to get them to put those away. They're handing me stacks of school papers that I'm thumbing through And then in the meantime, my three-year-old's feeling neglected, and I'm trying to keep an eye on my baby who's practicing going up and down and up and down the stairs. (laughs) And maybe I'm trying to start dinner. And all the while, my kids are talking at me, right? Talking, talking, talking. Yes. (laughs) And And you're saying, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Exactly. (laughs) Yes. And so you're not putting into practice those good skills that you know in that moment. So how in that particular situation, how would a mom do that? Because it's not like you're, you know, surfing on your phone or doing something like that. You're, you're actually managing your household at that time. You're trying your best. So what would you suggest in that moment to make connection easier with your children? Right. With um, nonverbal communication, sometimes you will have to stop (laughs) to be able to make that good connection. Um, So a few little things that I use are, um, for instance, my my three-year-old will sometimes start saying something and then he'll kind of get lost in the middle of his own thought. Mm. And so I will get down on his level. And you can do this with all kids. You kneel down or you sit down next to them so that your face is on the same level as their face so that you can make eye contact. And then with my little guy, I will take my hand and rest it under his chin so that Mm -hmm. he stays focused on me. He doesn't turn away or wander off until he can finish his thought. Mm. I love that. Yeah. And that's a nonverbal way to help him know that you're right there with him listening and to help him focus on finishing as well. You know, what was really interesting, um, a friend of mine through Power of Moms, Catherine Arviseth is her name. Mm-hmm. And she wrote an article about how she has five, she had five kids under the age of five because she had two sets of twins. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and she said that her younger, her youngest boys who were twins 
had developed a stutter. Mm. And you may you may know more about this from a theoretical background, but um, that she was advised that she needed to slow down everything in her house and just be more present and listen more carefully and that that would help with their stutter. Mm. And she wrote a, a whole article for Power of Moms that I can link in the show notes about it. And this is a great mom. She wasn't doing anything wrong, mm-hmm. but just the atmosphere in their home was so busy and frenzied and when she started getting down on her boy's level and listening, like you just said, it helped for their, their stuttering problem to go away. I mm-hmm. thought that was amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that really is. I think our kids definitely need that connection sometimes. Um, yeah. Another thing I like to do, I, I will use nonverbals to control the flow of the conversation because my kids do like to try to talk over each other. And so sometimes what I will do is I'll get down and put my hand on the shoulder of the one child that I'm focusing on. And then if someone else tries to come and interrupt, I will put out my hand toward them like like a stop sign or like one finger up to tell them, just a minute, it's not your turn. Mm-hmm. And without actually using words to interrupt, then I can finish listening to the first child. And then at that point, I will take my hand off their shoulder and put it on the other child and say, okay. What did you need to tell me? Mm-hmm. And they, I mean, I don't, have you ever explained those cues to them or they just know? I think they just know. I mean, the stop sign's kind of intuitive. Obvious, you know? yeah. Mm-hmm. And I do think that our kids are so much more in tune with our nonverbal communication than we realize. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, when my son wasn't quite two and granted he's very precocious and he's always been talked really young and been really intuitive about other people's feelings but he wasn't even quite two and we pulled into a parking lot at a grocery store and I just like let out this big sigh (laughs) and from the back he said mommy's tired (laughs) and I was like oh my gosh like this little tiny kid could read my nonverbal body language and he knew what it meant and I'm like so when we're when we're sighing or turning away or rolling our eyes like our kids know what those things mean yeah I've read different statistics but they say that somewhere between 65 and even 95 percent of our communication is nonverbal. so I think wow. if we can be more intentional about how we're using it we'll be better off yeah another technique that I like to use for nonverbal communication is mirroring and I think most of us have heard about this with a job interview setting. Have you heard of mirroring, Rachel? Um, no. Okay. I, ha- I mean, I, I have a guess what I think it might be, but I don't know for sure. <laughs> yeah, basically your, your body language is just copying the body language of the person that you're talking with. Mm-hmm. And so they say in interviews, if your interviewer folds their arms, you could fold their, your arms. Um, if they lean back, you would lean back. And really? Do this. Yeah. Why and would you do that in an interview? Right. Um, The reason that we do this in any setting is because then the person sees you as more similar to them and therefore more likable. Hmm. So it's actually really effective um, in all settings. I used to use, when I was teaching, I would give my students an assignment to practice this and they were always amazed at how effective it was. Um, Hmm. We do this all the time with babies pretty naturally. Like if your baby has a big smile, you'll smile. Or if they start to cry, you get kind of a sad concerned look on your face. Mm -hmm. Um, But we can use it with our big kids as well. So for example, um, I have a very enthusiastic child who 
multiple times a week will burst through the door and he'll throw out his arms and say, today is my lucky day. Oh, I love that. (laughs) It's really cute. Um, And so in that moment, all I have to do is make my eyes big and get a smile on my face. And, you know, maybe I'll put my arms out a little bit. And so that he can see that I am feeling it with him. Uh So my body is showing my excitement as well. Yeah. And you can also do this if your child comes home sad, then, you know, if they fold their arms and hunch down on the couch, maybe you kind of slump on the couch too, or um, have a closed posture. And as you start talking to them, maybe you start to unfold your arms, maybe turn toward them, and hopefully they'll be able to relax and copy your, your body language as well. Mm, and, so then you lead them. With yeah, body language. Yeah. Exactly. Because humans really do pretty naturally copy each other. Yeah. And so you can actually lead them in relaxing through that process. This reminds me of I am not a big crier. And I have one of my best friends is. And when I would tell her something hard, I was going through something really emotional, she would actually get like tears in her eyes. And I could tell like she was really feeling it with me because it showed. And I think that that is like a gift that people have to be able to like cry with those who are sad. And so I loved that she had that gift, but I worried that I, when people talk to me about hard things that maybe I came across as just the stone, like unfeeling person. Cause I just don't cry really. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mentioned that to that friend and she said, Rachel, you're, you have the most empathetic face. Like you don't have to have tears coming out of your eyes. Right. You can tell, like you can see in your face and in your eyes that you feel for me and that you're right there with me. And I'm like, okay, that made me feel better about, just having an empathetic face. I, I've always thought of that and, and really loved that compliment. And I hope that it's true that you can have an empathetic face when you listen and talk to people. Yeah, exactly. And like I say, by copying other people's actual behaviors, then they, they think of you as being more like them and they see that you relate to them. And one little warning here though, it has to be subtle because if they feel like you're copying them, then they will (laughs) think that you're making fun of them. And it is, really bad. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say in a job interview. I'm like, I feel like I would be like, feel like a creeper, like I lean forward, he leans forward. (laughs) Like, um, you know, when kids are like, copy everything you say to be annoying. You you don't want to do that. No, you you have to be super subtle. Well, what a cool tactic. Thanks for sharing that one. Yeah. So what's your second takeaway? So my second takeaway is to use active listening. These are techniques that you can use when it's not an option to stop. So if my Mm. kid is telling me something and I really do need to go rescue my baby so that he doesn't tumble down the stairs, then I can Mm. use some active listening skills to get back into the conversation. Um, So active listening is anything that you are doing to show the other person that you are fully involved in the information that they're trying to give you and that you're receiving the message. Hmm. So um, this actually does include the uh uh-huh, but we can do better, right? Yeah. Well, and uh uh-huh is no problem if you're actually listening. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) But for me, uh uh-huh is definitely a filler a lot of times when I'm not listening. (laughs) But like right now, as I'm talking to you, I'm saying uh uh-huh a lot, but I am fully 
you know, you are my focus right now. Right. Yeah, that's true. So this can also include things like, oh, really? Or what happened next? We can also Mm. ask clarifying questions um, and we can use paraphrasing. I feel like paraphrasing sometimes gets a bad reputation for being cheesy or inauthentic. But paraphrasing can be a really useful tool for kind of helping your kids tease out the main point of what they're trying to tell you. Mm. You ever feel like your kids kind of get lost in the details of what they're saying? Yes. So for paraphrasing, how would you do that if your child was telling you a long story? Yeah. So um, let me give you a couple of examples. Um, I have a kindergartner that came home one day and he said, we learned this new song from our music teacher and it was so much fun. And he went on about that. And then he told me, and when I went out at recess, I figured out which classroom was my music teacher's room and I knocked on her window and she waved at me. And he was just so excited about this interaction. So to use paraphrasing, I said, so you really loved the song that you learned from your music teacher and you were so excited to see her at recess. It sounds like you really love that teacher. And so at that point, he knows that I heard the first and second thing that he told him, and he can see that I understand how he's feeling about those things. So it sounds like you're not just summarizing what he said, you're also helping him to attach meaning to it. Yeah. So you're saying, oh, th- this probably means you love your teacher, right? Yeah. And yeah, then you're and letting then him clarify. He can, he can tell me if that's not true, but um, if you put the pieces together usually you can get the main message. Mm-hmm. I also like to use paraphrasing if a conversation has been interrupted, which happens a lot. Um, <laughs> if you have to run off and take care of something, then you can come back to that child and say, okay, so you were telling me X, Y, Z, what oh. happened next? Yeah, that's great to sort of bring them back in and to say, I did hear you and now I'm back and ready to Yeah, listen. sorry for the interruption. This is the point that you got to go on. Yes, love that. Um, well, let me give you one more example about how you can pair that with a, a clarifying question. Um, sometimes my kid will start in on one story and then he'll kind of take a tangent and get stuck on a second story. <laughs> and so you can kind of use your active listening to bring him back. So let's say that your child comes home and starts telling you, we have this big science fair coming up and here are the requirements and here are the dates. And this is all information that you really need. And then they say, and I'm in a group with, with Joey and Ben. And, oh, did I tell you that Ben broke his leg? And then you say, no, you didn't. <laughs> and then they tell you this big story about Ben breaking his leg and how it is for Ben at school now. And pretty soon you are so far away from the science fair requirements that you really need to hear, right? Yes. So instead of interrupting and saying, yeah, yeah, that's nice, go ahead and let your child finish what they want to tell you, because that is important to them. And then you can go back and say, now that you've told me about Ben breaking his leg and how hard that must be for him at school, let's go back to the science fair. You had told me this and this. Can you tell me the rest of the requirements? So you can go ahead and let them say what they need to say, but then you can also go back and use questions to get the information that you want as a mom. Yeah. And sometimes your priorities are going to be different in a conversation. Like as far as whether it's information gathering or disconnective. Exactly. Okay. And what if your child really 
is going off on a 20 minute long story. <laughs> you hear about this moms who are like, he told me about his dream for 40 minutes and I couldn't quite handle it. You know, what, what would your suggestion be for, for situations like that? Yeah, that's such a great question. Um, I don't know that I have the right answer for that, but something that I do use in my own house is to say, I need you to finish up your story in the next two minutes because I need to go do this and I want to make sure that you finish your story. Mm, okay. So yeah, you're not saying, I like just that, what you said there at the end, and I want to make sure you get to finish your story versus just, I need you to finish in two minutes because I have to go do something, which is kind right. of like, <laughs> if someone said that to me, I'd be like, forget it. I'm done talking now. But if right. they said someone, someone, people do say stuff like that to me on the phone where they'll be like, Hey, I have to go in five minutes, you know? So they're kind of giving you a heads up and then right. you finish up and you wrap it up. So it's like, yeah. I want to hear you, but I only have two minutes left. So. Right. I know. And kids really do. I mean, we joke that one of my kids, we could watch a movie in shorter amount of time than to listen to him tell about the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I totally get that. <laughs> yeah. And as a mom, it's not like you're saying that you need to sit down and listen to every word all the time to be a good mom, because that just isn't possible with the busyness of possible. mom life. No. Yeah. I think you can, I think you can gauge when it matters the most. And I would say if you can do this once or twice a day, that's fantastic. Mm, it's yeah. unrealistic to do it all the time. That's great. So then what's the third takeaway? Yeah, I saved the best for last for oh, the good. third takeaway. <laughs> the third one is to use perception checking. And I'll explain what this is in a minute. But perceptions basically are just our views of the world or how we interpret a situation. And sometimes we are correct and sometimes we're not. So sometimes we just need to question or check our perceptions. Hmm. Um, there's different ways that you can do this, but my favorite is a specific three-part process. So I'll describe the process and then I'll show you how that looks in real life. Okay. So step one is to describe what you observe Step two is to offer two explanations, at least two. And then step three is ask for clarification. Okay. So let me give you an example because this doesn't make sense yet. Um, and this, the thing I love about this strategy is it opens, it's a non-threatening way to open up dialogue. So let's pretend like your, it's your son's week to do dishes after dinner. And on the third day, you've noticed that he has done no dishes that week. Every night when you go to bed, the sink is still full of dishes. So your gut reaction might be to confront the child, right? Mm -hmm. But if you're using perception checking, then you would, number one, describe what you observe. So you would say, hey, I noticed that each night at the end of the night, the sink is still full of dishes and it's your week to do the dishes. Mm -hmm. Step two would be to offer two explanations. So did you just forget it was your week or did you just think somebody else would take care of that for you? And then step three is to ask for clarification. So how come you haven't been doing your dishes this week? Hmm. So it seems really basic, but um, a lot of times we go in to interactions with our kids thinking that we're the expert on them, thinking that we know their motives, we can read their minds, right? 
Yes. Thinking this, this kid is always lazy. He's always trying to put it off on other people. So then you kind of go in guns blazing to talk to him about it when really it could be that he honestly didn't remember that it was his week, but you've already put on him that he always does this type of thing. Exactly. Yep. You said that perfectly. And um, so, you know, it immediately puts a kid on the defensive when you have those feelings about him, right? Mm -hmm. And I would say that a large majority of the time, one of your two explanations will actually be correct. But a lot of times it's not. And then you find out new information. So maybe in this scenario, your son says, oh, well, I knew that I was going to be really busy with homework all week. So I traded chores with my sister and I've been doing her vacuuming all week. And I didn't know that she wasn't doing the dishes. So at that point, you haven't attacked your child. You just opened the door for them to explain themselves. Hmm. So yeah, when I first heard that, I thought, what if it's, what if it's neither, you know, Mm -hmm. but you're saying just presenting two options gives them the chance to either say yes it was one of those two or to say actually something completely different it just opens the door for that conversation to happen right exactly and that's why you ask for clarification in step three it's helpful to make sure that you complete all three steps because if you just stop after step one like if you just go into that interaction saying well i've noticed you haven't been doing your dishes then that can still seem confrontational by offering Mm -hmm. multiple explanations then it you're kind of just showing that you don't know. You're leaving the door open for them to explain themselves. And then asking Mm -hmm. for clarification completes that process. Yeah. And that's another thing in adult relationships that's so wonderful is when somebody doesn't put you in a box and they just let you be. I do have those friends that say like, well, Rachel's always this way or Rachel's, Mm -hmm. and that's irritating. It's like, just let me be who I am and grow and change and give me a chance. And so Mm -hmm. I really feel like this is what that perception checking does for your kids too. Yeah. Yeah. I also like to use this to help my kids talk about their moods. So for example, if um, I had a son who came home and as soon as he walked in the door, I could see that something was wrong. And um, one thing I've learned, this is just a little aside, one thing I've learned that my kids don't like to be welcomed with, what is wrong? And so (laughs) in that situation, then um, I would greet them like a normal person. Hi, how, you know, welcome home. We're glad to see you. Um, And then maybe as they're sitting down to a snack, then I could say, I noticed that you're not talking as much as normal and that your face looks a little sad. So I'm just describing what I observe. Mm -hmm. So then I'm offering two explanations. Are you worried about homework or did something frustrating happen at school? What, how come you seem a little bit down? Mm -hmm. And so at that point, then, you know, if it's my child, he might just say it was recess. And so then I can turn to my active listening, right? I'm asking questions. What happened at recess? What is bothering you? And so then, you know, in this situation, my, my child said, well, we were playing Foursquare today and these two girls came and wanted to join us and we decided to let them play to be nice. And then they changed all the rules and then we didn't end up having any fun. Mm. And so he was so upset because he had tried to do something nice and in the process ended up, it ended up ruining his game. Mm. 
but that's something that I never in a million years could have guessed. And right. so just by describing how he was looking, giving two even really vague possible explanations, then he can fill in the rest for me. Yeah. And what do you say that there? Just, I'm sorry, that sounds really frustrating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's all you have to say. You don't have to fix it or give a solution or next time you can do this or you just say you're sorry. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, just validate their experience. Mm -hmm. I I think there are times where it would be helpful to offer suggestions, but, you know, in that situation specifically, I don't think that would be necessary. Yeah. And I do feel like it's always best to hear them out and listen and validate their emotions first before you ever start offering. Yeah, that's also true. Mm hmm. Yeah. So, and a lot of times when people start talking, because I'm thinking about applying all of this to adults too, you know, to <laughs> adult relationships. When people start talking, they come to their own solutions. They yeah. it, First, they get it all out and then they say, well, maybe tomorrow I should talk to her or they, I should do this differently without you ever having to tell them what to do. But just talking through it helps them to come to that solution. Yep, yeah. I would agree. Well, thank you. This has been really helpful to learn how to listen to our kids better. And especially I feel like in those busy times when, I mean, we focused on after school a little bit. I do think that is a huge time when moms want to have connection and maybe miss opportunities for connection. But this can really apply to any time of the day when we are wanting to build a connection with our kids. Yeah. That's absolutely true. Can you recap what those three takeaways were one more time? Yep. So number one was to pay attention to your nonverbal communication. Number two is to use active listening, especially in those situations when um, you can't stop what you're doing. And the third is to use perception checking and to realize that we don't always know our kids' motives. Yes. Well, thank you, Kim, so much for coming on and for being a great mom and a great listener and teaching us how to as well. Well, thank you. Thanks so much for the work you're doing. During that episode, I thought of Marilyn Faulkner's words in episode 28 of the podcast, How to Raise Confident Children, when she said in her endearing, self-deprecating way, if I talk to my friends the way that I talk to my children, I wouldn't have any friends. I think that's true for listening too. If I listened to my friends the way that I sometimes listen to my children, which is very half-heartedly, I wouldn't have any friends. So it's my goal this week to be a much better, more focused listener and to use that time to connect with my kids. I wanted to let you know that I will be sending out September's takeaway sheet this Friday. So each month I send out a sheet with all of the takeaways from the previous month's episodes. And I'm going to start doing that on the first Friday of the month for the month that just ended. So you can always look for that on the first Friday of the month. And you've heard this little pitch for the takeaway sheet before, but have you signed up yet? You may sometimes think, oh, I'm going to do that. I need to do that. Stop what you're doing and do it right now. You can go to 3in30podcast.com forward slash takeaways to sign up for that. Thank you so much for being here and for caring enough to try to improve little by little in your mothering. And I hope that you have a great week with your family.